ladies and gentlemen, it seems we have a problem. Hello, everybody. It's Thursday. That means it's time for another episode of the TopSpeed.com podcast. TopSpeed.com is your internet home for all the crazy and amazing things that are automotive-based. If it has wheels and an engine and does cool stuff, we want to talk about it. Hello, I am Christian Moe. Today, as always, I am joined by our editor-in-chief, Justin Coupler. Say hello, Justin. Hello, Justin. Thank you, Justin. Yeah, yeah. And jumping in there with our first rim shot is the wonderful Mr. Mark McNabb. Hello, Mark. How's it going, guys? Ooh, coffee's a little hot. All right. Um, everyone, we want to say thank you for joining us. Um, if you aren't aware for some reason, don't forget that we are now available on iTunes. You can run right over to iTunes, click the little subscribe button. You'll get these things almost as soon as they go live, show up right on your phone or your tablet or your computer or whatever else you like. And then you don't even have to go searching for us. Our wonderful, soothing voices are brought to you automatically. Don't forget, if you love what we do, you can go over there and leave us a little one through five star rating or a nice little comment, and we would really appreciate that. We're going to jump right into things today with our weekly wheels, and we're going to start with Mr. Justin, who's been driving yet another machine from Mazda. Yeah, I seem to be the Mazda guy here lately. Uh, had a crack at the 2014 Mazda 6i Touring. Um, it's a pretty decent car. It's kind of kind of blah, you know. It's, it's your average old sedan. I do really like the the new design. It looks great in pictures, but in person it looks even better. Um, I really yeah, you wish said, you said boring old sedan. I'm like, wait a minute, have you seen that thing? Yeah, it's it drives like a boring old sedan, but I'll get to that in a second. The body is nice. Uh, the new redesign is great. The the new arches of the wheel wells are awesome. I wish it would have given me a different color. They gave me kind of a medium silver. That kind of hid some of the body lines. I would have preferred to see a red or a black, something that would kind of highlight those edges. Uh, but that, still, yeah, that like metallic burgundy color that they sell that thing in looks that awesome. Is stunning. I was praying the car come in that color, but they pulled up in a gray one. I was like, meh, okay, I'll live with it. But uh, you know, it had the 17-inch wheels, um, low-profile tires. It's a good-looking car from the outside. The inside was where things got a little bit blah. The front seats were were sporty, had nice little bolsters on the side, um, but the leather was fake. Um, but that's okay because you kind of expect fake leather from a $23,000 car. I do not expect fake leather from a $30,000 BMW. <clears throat> but anyways, um, had the navigation package installed, but it was not activated. As I was telling Mark when we were off the air, I uh, said there's the navigation button and it didn't work. So. Was it one of those SD card ones? Yeah. I wonder if somebody card stole one. the card. I don't know. That's that's a good point because, yeah, it did have the SD card. And I was telling Mark, had the card slot. But the card wasn't there, so some yeah, uh, so little press guy decided to yank it. it. Ah, details, details. Um, you know, it had dual exhaust, which gave a nice little sporty look. Uh, there was one issue on the outside, though, that I took some had some problem with. There's a fit and finish issue with the uh, the chrome that's around the front grille, right at the bottom where it kind of joined together. There's a very obvious crease. I know there's always going to be a crease there. Well, not always, but most of the time there's going to be a crease there unless it's one piece molded it in a circle like that. But the crease was very obvious, and when the sun hit it, it was completely blatant. So it really, really took away from the outside a little bit. Um, Look at my shiny. I know, really. It, it, and it caught your eye in a second. I was like, whoa, what's that? I thought I, I dented it or something. It was actually just the crease where the two ends meet. Um, as I said, the seats had nice bolsters. They held well uh, in the corners, uh, didn't slide all over the place. 
Um, in terms of handling, the car is pretty good. Uh, the, the wheels are nice and wide, so it handled well. Suspension wasn't the sportiest, but it was good enough for a sedan. I did have a five-speed, which is kind of a love-hate thing. Um, I like having them automatic now that I'm a, a dad and I have to handle a kid in the back seat. It's nice having an auto, but the five-speed was cool to, to row my own gears for a little while. 185 horsepower of that little uh, Sky Active 2.5 liter, which isn't too bad. 60 miles an hour came about 7.5 seconds. Overall, it was your, like you always say, Christian, your 2.3 kid sedan. Yeah. It came in at just about, uh, I'm trying to think, I think it bases at 20,000. The Touring comes in at 23000 and mine with the auto-dimming mirror and some cool little uh, door sill trims came in at 23915 before delivery. Yep, because uh, you had the I, not the S. The S is a little more expensive, yeah. a little more powerful, stuff like that. Yeah, um, it has like, different suspension, things like that. I just love the single fact that Mazda still sells that thing with a manual. Like They're like yeah. the only one left still making a family sedan that you can get with three pedals. Yeah, and it's great. I mean, some people like to have the three pedals. Like I said, me with a kid, sometimes it's easier having the, the auto, but some people just got to have that manual like yourself. Yes. <laughs> Again, I drove all the way to Arkansas. I, I drove nine and a half hours to buy my car because it had three pedals. <laughs> and it was totally worth it. No, it was totally worth it. I mean, <laughs> it was fantastic. I love my Golf. It's the best thing I've ever bought. All right. Uh, Mark was driving something even prettier and and drool worthy, and and I am kind of sad and mad at him. Well, um, yeah, I guess you know it was it was pretty. Uh, I guess you know are we, I guess we're going to talk about the ES5 today, or we're going to talk about the town and country. I've got two that I could talk about. Um, yeah, we'll do the S5 because I don't want to talk about minivans today. <laughs> I know, I know, I told you that we were going to talk about minivans, but I really don't want to talk about minivans. Oh, uh, guys, I I have to say I've had a really fun week. Um, yeah, I had a 2014 Audi S5 Quattro with the S-Tronic. Um, oh my gosh, I I've I've fallen in love. Um, let me get the the build sheet out here. You guys are gonna be jealous. Um. I'm already jealous because you said S5. That is one of the prettiest things that Audi makes right now. Yeah, you know, and it's so funny. Like, I wrote this in my review, which is going live uh, in like 30 minutes. Um, you know, I never really paid attention to the S5 basically at all. I, it just kind of was like, oh, it's a filler. Not going to worry about that. Look how pretty the R8 is. But, you know, when it, when it pulled up in the driveway, I'm like, wow, when did they make that? And it's stunning. And <laughs> yeah, like and it came in black, and it looked like the Batman. Oh. Had this had chrome accents on the mirror caps. Of course, the chrome grille, the the big 18-inch chrome wheels, satin chrome everywhere. The Alcantara seats. <sighs> Google Earth in the navigation. That that's an awesome addition. Like, so isn't it though? So many manufacturer installed navigation systems totally suck. Yeah, but this is Google, Google Earth, Earth powering it is just awesome. Yeah, but uh, you know, I mean, Google Earth was great and all, but the best part about the car, of course, was that three-liter supercharged V6 mated mm. to that dual-clutch seven-speed transmission. Isn't that DCT just a sweetheart? Oh my gosh, I seriously impressed with it. Even in drive, the thing handled pretty well. You know, it. it Gear shifts came pretty quickly. They didn't kick you in the butt every time. So, you know, if you're just putting along, you're not trying to do anything, it was fine. 
If you put it S, or if you kick it over to manual, which everyone should drive their car in manual mode all the time, um, oh my gosh, anything above 3,000 RPMs, bam, it would hit you, and it just, that, the exhaust would burp, and just, it, forward momentum, with ease, with ease. Um, 333 horsepower in this thing, and it, it, it just, it handled well. And the whole time I had it, not that I was trying to really kill it, but not one bit of wheel spin ever because it had the sport differential and, of course, all-wheel drive. So everything was pulling the whole time. You know, it's 40-60 front split, uh, torque, torque split, but um, it, it just it handled really well. Um, I did have one issue um, going into a corner, uh, merging onto uh, interstate. And, of course, you know, Audi is kind of, I guess, not famous for, but maybe infamous for, is having their engine almost literally hanging in front the of front bumper, the front yeah. axle. So it was like, look at the front wheel. The engine's in front of that. Like, all but about two cylinders are in front of that front axle. And so it's just, like, all of this weight's out front, way out front. understeer terribly. And so I, I entered the corner, and I'm like, whoa! And it just kept driving forward, and it was, it was a little hairy, but, you know, of course... Nothing bad happened. But, uh, yep, it's like beep, 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 beep. okay, 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 okay. We're good. We're good. I was like, good. never doing, never doing that again. Never doing that. Now, again. now, is there actually a design purpose behind putting the engine that far up front? Well, I, I think they, they, they basically they have to. I think because um, of the way the the all-wheel drive system works, um, right, like right after the bell housing on that transmission, there comes your half shafts for your front-wheel drive. And uh, basically, the it's a longitudinal mounted engine transmission and you got the rear diff as well but it has these half shafts coming out of the uh, basically the bell housing so it's um, it's kind of like a um, transaxle slash transmission sending the power back and sideways so they have to put it so far forward in order to route the power to the wheels that makes sense yeah. and it also gives you a little bit more in interior space when you don't have to cut out interior to get the engine so far back true yeah, I mean, if you if you pop the hood and look down, right below the firewall, I mean, there's nothing there. It's like, oh, the transmission's way up here. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it was it was crazy to look at it. Um, of course, mine mine had a couple options. It wasn't. It was basically the base car with a, with a couple really good options. And the number one thing was the the navigation, the MMI that came with the CV, CD DVD player with the HD radio, the navigation, of course, with the voice control, um, had the driver information display, which I really wasn't happy with. Um, the park system with a rear view camera and uh, the online services with like the 4G LTE and Wi-Fi and all that stuff. Um, and of course, the lacquered aluminum black wood inlays. I will never understand this. Like, I looked at some of the trims online and the, and the build sheets there, and they look perfectly fine, and they cost zero dollars. But for a whopping $1,100, you got these black wood inlays with like these aluminum like pinstripes down it and it was it maybe covered two square feet of the entire car like there was a little bit on the dash there was a little bit on the door panels front and back and that was pretty much it but you paid almost you know you paid over a thousand dollars for it welcome to the world of german luxury cars i, I know it was <laughs> well real wood real wood is it costs money um for most car companies, and I'm pretty sure Audi uses the same way, they actually try and source all their wood from sustainable sources and sustainable forests and things like that. That costs a lot of extra money. Um, plus, I don't care how much it costs. It's beautiful. 
I mean, I thought there were other beautiful options for free as well, you know. And like, I guess so. It, honestly, it, it didn't really feel like real wood. Like the Genesis, the Hyundai Genesis that I was in a couple weeks ago, it has this open pore wood on the dash and everywhere. It's beautiful. You touch it, it feels like 1800s, you know, rich mahogany and smells like leather-bound books. And so, I mean, like, it looked like wood. This just looked like plastic. You know, if you want to... Speaking of uh, really nice wood in a car, sorry, that sounded bad, but anyway. (laughs) I drove the S5, and you'll never guess what happened. (laughs) It was great wood. But uh, if you want to feel mm, nice, natural wood trimming. (laughs) No one took it there, Justin. No one took it there but you. Yeah, it's my disgusting mind that took it there, and then I persuaded you guys to laugh at it, see? Uh, anyway, really nice wood trim, and it's really unique. If you ever get a chance to sit in a Fisker Karma, they have oh, a wood bet. trim over top of the, the stereo system that is actually driftwood. Oh, that's cool. It's not it is, all driftwood. Um, that's, no, that's one of my favorite things about the uh, Karma is what they don't use as driftwood is still recovered wood from like fires yeah. and things. None of it is cut down. It's all reclaimed wood. Mm-hmm. And it's open pour. It's, they're all unique. Not a single one looks exactly like the next. It's really a nice touch. You know, that's one of the things I really liked when I tested the car. It's really really cool addition, I think. A wow, lot of things about the Karma cool. are that way. Hmm. Um. Like the leather, like they had a fake leather that wasn't real leather, and it was like all vegetable tanned and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Like they had a lot of really environmentally friendly options that went into the car, besides the fact it's just a hybrid. Mm-hmm. Well, that's nice. Yeah, but we're gonna go ahead and we're gonna move on, and we're gonna talk about what I was driving, which um was mainly the car that sparked our first piece of news about how Nissan is the best enthusiast car car company. Um. Nissan brought me a Juke Nismo, and it is just the best little thing I've ever been in. It is just a total hoon wagon that should never exist in the entire world. It's Nissan has taken a hatchback, and then they have lifted it up a few inches so they could sell it as a crossover, and then they decided to sell it with a manual, huge sport bucket seats, and turn up the turbocharger. It's... A little top heavy. It wails around in the corners. Uh, I can. You could literally spin the front tires until they explode if you want to. Um, like torque, torque steer. There's plenty of torque steer if you want it. Like everything that's terrible about a car that makes it fun is crammed in this thing. And Nissan's like, that's exactly how we wanted it. And it it makes me so happy. It's funky and ugly and it's got this cool little red stripe around it and huge 18 inch wheels and it makes snorty blarbly noises out the exhaust it's fantastic well, that's one of the reasons Nissan is the best enthusiast company they do things that you wouldn't expect you, know, you don't expect to see a juke Nismo you don't expect to see a juke period Right. but then to see a juke Nismo it's like what, what are they doing okay, I guess someone's buying it then yeah an enthusiast is that's why Right, uh, I was I was discussing it with another friend of mine that I had wrote a piece about that. He goes, "Oh, that's a good way to put it. Um, I usually refer to Nissan as the ballsiest brand <laughs> because they're the only company that seems to have the balls to make really ridiculous cars." You know, well, they like, have. Go ahead. They have to make up for all the years of crap they put out. <laughs> well, but even even through all the years of crap, there were always bright shining spots. 
Like, there's uh, been the Z cars. There's been yeah, all of the GTR stuff they've done. There's all the S bodies. Like, if I if if you want to get into drifting, what's the only car you're gonna buy? A 240SX. Like, that's what you're going to buy. Well, but but think of the mid 1990s Nissan, the Altima, Maxima, base Sentra years. There wasn't anything in there in those years. I think the 240 well, may have overlapped at one point there, but that's well, no, because the 240 went to like 95 or 96. Yeah, but from 96 on, what they have? 96 um, to 2000. I think it was 98 the first year they had the SCR for the uh, Sentra. Well, that was 93, but they had that only for two years. And the SER, the second-gen SER, yeah, 98, 99, maybe 2000. So, I mean, you're looking at maybe a gap of three or four years. But maybe. there's a lot of crap in that gap. There is. But... Two words, two words. Nissan Stanza. Yes. Oh, God. <laughs> but... and then they had the Nissan Stanza replaced by a Nissan Altima. That just takes the cake. <laughs> the Altima was about the most boring car for the first ten years it was in production. Yeah. Right, cool. but... But and, and and so like here's here's the thing though they make terrible cars but lots of companies make terrible cars, but then Nissan is like you know what, we're kind of bored with making these really terrible cars. Why don't we sneak into this back garage and do something really silly with it and try and sell like a dozen of them? And then someone at Nissan greenlights these things like the Altima. They only made it for like two years. I think it was like 03 and 04 or something. But you could get an Altima SER. It came with like 19-inch alloys, and you could get it with a manual, and the engine made a little bit more power, and it had a new exhaust system. It's like, you never see Toyota going, you know what we need to do with our Camry? A spoiler, a manual transmission, and up the power. That'll be amazing. Well, they did for a few years. What, what Wasn't there a Camry, uh, what was it called? X, uh, I can't remember what exactly it was called. I have There's to look like the that. XLR that had like a body kit, but like yeah, that, but was, had, that was about it. They it had didn't... more horsepower. No, it was up to like 180 horsepower from what I recall. It was I the same engine as in the Matrix. I don't think they did much to that engine, uh, and especially not with like the uh, V6 trim. Well, no, it was a completely different engine. It was the engine that was in the Matrix. They had oh, two, okay. different, two different one eights. But no, it's like most most companies don't don't do this. And then there's something like the Juke R, and I know the Juke R started as sort of a side project, and it made and it was done by Nissan UK, and it made Nissan HQ in Japan a little upset about it. But then Japan greenlighted a small run production. What other again? If I am someone at GM and I'm like, you know what, we really need to do, we need to cut the back seats out of a Sonic and put a Corvette engine back there. We'll make like a dozen of them sell them for a million dollars a piece. What do you think? That guy probably would have been fired. <coughs> Bob Lutz. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. So like, Bob Lutz is the kind of guy that wants these cars to happen, and he occasionally gets them. Like, he got the Viper. But for the most part, these companies shut these projects down, and he sounds like, ah, whatever, got some cool YouTube hits. Have fun. Like, no other company does that. And, I mean, there are some companies that do some things like that. Like, Renault used to be really good about dropping – they would take their hot hatch, cut out the back seats, and put v- v- V6s back back there. But they don't do that anymore either. And all these companies have lots of good cars. But Nissan just seems to be the only one doing really stupid things that if we owned a car company, we would try to do. <laughs> I, I guess that's kind of the way I, I look at it. Yeah, BMW, everything they make is good to drive. But – they also make lots of cars that are bought by 22-year-old women who can't see straight. Like, they bought a lot, lots, lots of people buy a BMW for a badge. They don't buy it to drive the car. Yeah, yeah. And Nissan makes lots of people for lot or lots of cars for lots of boring people. But then on the side, again, they're making cars that if I owned a car company, I'd be like, 
could we put hardback Recaros in a crossover and sell that? Could we chop the top off of this two-row SUV just to say we did? Like, that's what I would do if I owned a car company and Nissan does that. And oh, uh, just I love them for it. Just for clarity's sake, yes. In 2005, Toyota Corolla XRS 170 horsepower, 2.4 liter sport tune suspension. It was made for two years, then came back in 2009. Ooh, 100 and what, 84 horsepower? No, 100, 170, but that's over top of the stock 130. I mean, that's, that's a okay, big Okay, but that's 130 in the four cylinder. Or you could just buy a V6 Camry, which everyone does, anyways. Well, yeah, but still, it's 170 horsepower Corolla. <laughs> I with guess the fork so. tone suspension. I guess so. I'm not arguing with a Nissan's. Well, but that's the Corolla, so that's the uh, Sentra competitor, not the Altima competitor. Yeah, this is this is for the Sentra SER. Right. That no, no, that's no, that's what I'm saying. Nissan also made an Altima SER. Yeah, for a couple of years. Yeah. Right, and it's like, whoa, wait a minute, what? And it, again, it was somebody going, "Do you think this would sell?" Oh, let's uh, try. It. Probably not. How many do we have to sell to make some money? I, we probably need to sell 40. Yeah, if we sell 20, we only lose half. Have fun. Like <laughs> That seems to be how they run their business. Hey, and they've been in business for a long time doing it, so oh, they're doing something 80, right there. 80, 80 years last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's impressive. So. Now, I, I want Nissan to do something, though. Right? They're already in the Aussie's uh, V8 racing circuit. Why aren't they making V8 rear-wheel drive Altimus? Like, that just needs to happen. Like, now. So, I think, because they're not an idiot company, the reason that hasn't happened mostly is Maxima and GTR. They won't push the Altima to be faster than the Maxima. Uh, we'll do it with the Maxima. Well, but then you have to completely build a whole new car. And then you also end up with Nissan already makes Infinity, which that's what Infinity is. You know, when... So like Lexus, when Lexus went to make a luxury brand, they just started making, you know, front-wheel drive, you know, just slightly better versions of their cars. And then they did make the IS350, which has its own platform and the rear-wheel drive and all that. But for the most part, they're all Toyota-based, you know, normal Toyota cars that have just been gussied up. And Nissan started that a little bit with Infiniti back in the older models. But then someone at Nissan just went, you know what we should do? Make an entirely new sporty rear-wheel drive platform and put every single car we make in Infinity under it. And then we got the M, and we got the G, and we got the FX, and we got the EX, and like we got all these things that Nissan's like, we're going to make a rear-wheel drive platform and do that. So that's they already kind of have that if you go with the G37 or the M56. The M56 is uh, you know just a sedan like the Altima or the Maxima, but you can get it with the 5.6 liter V8 that they put in their trucks. Touche, like, sir. Touche. They they have that. It's just not wearing an Altima badge. That's all. And speaking of the SUVs, so the FX 3037, right? Uh, what what was the first year that, that was produced? Because everyone thinks that BMW made the sporty SUV, right? Oh, no, the, the FX came first. Right, so because sure, there's the X3 and the X5, but I don't call those sporty. I'd say the first sporty SUV that BMW made was the X6. Yeah, and the FX37, yeah, was out before that, and it looks great. Well, sorry, it was the FX3035 back then. It looked great, rear-wheel drive, like it was basically like a 350Z wagon with a with with a lift kit. Like that's basically what they made. Hmm. And but of course, BMW is the one that made the 
original sporty SUV. Like, Nissan's doing all this stuff, people. Nissan does it. For reasons no one in the world could ever figure out, Nissan does it. I think I think what people tend to do, unfortunately, is they associate a specific genre or segment with what really was the most popular one first. So, yeah, the FX came, I think, maybe two years before the X6. But the X6 was a popular one. It had the big name and all the popularity. The FX kind of, eh, some people bought it, but it wasn't the most popular thing. Just like everyone says the pony car segment was started by, by the Ford Mustang. No, it wasn't. The Plymouth Barracuda started that about right. four months before the Mustang ever came out. And, but because the Mustang was the most popular, everybody classifies that as the original pony car, and because it's the Mustang, yeah, pony, there you go. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's there's a, a lot to that, but it's like a lot of these things that people love and want in life is mostly because of Nissan, like as far as like an enthusiast stuff goes. And it's like I, I love them for it. Again, I remember back in like 2003 or something, they took a Sentra, so it was the SER V-Spec, they had a whole commercial on driving it around the Nurburgring. Who does that? Like back then, no one took their cars to the to the Nurburgring. No one really knew what the Nurburgring was in like major circles. Now every car maker in the world is like, we put the Nurburgring because people start to associate just that word, and it's like mainstream people is what we're going to call them associate that word with performance. Yeah. So now it's become a marketing ploy. Back then, it was. No, we just want to make your car better. And they were trying to set a front-wheel drive record for their Sentra for time around the Nurburgring. Like, okay, Nissan, take your $16,000 base-level car, send it to the Nurburgring. You guys have fun. <laughs> like, I just, I, I love the hell out of it. But all right, I I, I won't make this the Nissan pod, the podcast. Um, we're going to go ahead and we're going to move on. Um, let's talk about some more Audi stuff, actually. Um, so we talked about the S5, but if you want something bigger and maybe even prettier, uh, Audi has an S7, and uh, I believe it's just got some upgrades, right, Justin? Yeah, sir. It's a, it's a very mild upgrade on the outside. <clears throat> you got your typical Audi facelift. They took the single-frame grille, took the rounded corners, and made them a little more hard-angled. Changed out the headlights. Uh, they basically flipped the inside edge of the headlight, flipped the angle. So instead of angling outward toward the bottom, it angles outward toward the top. Wonderful little change. Uh, the big change in the headlights are two things. First, the inside edge actually tapers instead of going straight. And they now have the Matrix LEDs, um, which I'm not too sure yet. But last I knew, they still were not approved for U.S. consumption. But they may be by now. I didn't get a chance to research that yet. Um, you also got a nice new little lower lip. It's all one piece straight across instead of having the separation. And also you get a different angle there on the outs- the inside edge of the uh, the air intakes on the outside edges of the front bumper. In the back, you get your new uh, new tail lights. They don't have the U-shaped LED anymore. They now have an LED strike through through the center. Um, and they say they modified the exhaust pipes, but all I can tell is they are now black instead of chrome. That may be all they did. And also you get a nice new... Yeah, that's a modification, nonetheless. And they put a little insert down at the bottom that's a lot more sporty than the uh, than the 2004 model. But the big news, the biggest news, is they pumped up the uh, four point, I think a four point oh liter, I'm sorry, V8, from 420 horsepower up to 450 horsepower. So um, if you aren't quite sure what that means, listeners, that means they took an engine that was nearly perfect and they made it magic. Yes, <laughs> but the, the, the odd thing here is, though, they did not release the torque specs, 
which leads me to believe this may just be an electronic tune, which tuners are famous for doing. They take this cool little chip, they put it inside the the, uh, the computer system, and all of a sudden you get 30 more horsepower, but you don't get any more torque. Because um, a lot of those uh, tuners, things like that, don't produce any torque. They just bump the horsepower up, which you can do with mild electronic modifications. That may be the case here. Um, so don't expect a massive increase in 0 to 60 time. Probably 0 0.1 to 0 0.2 seconds faster, so probably somewhere in the 4.4 to 4.3 range. I think the 2014 is 4.5. Um, they didn't release any of these specs. These were all just estimates by my brain, unfortunately. Uh, <laughs> it's is, got a million horsepower! Yeah, a million horsepower to 0 to 60 in 0.2 seconds, and uh, yeah, it'll smoke a fighter jet. <clears throat> oh yeah, and it sprouts wings and flies. <laughs> that would be awesome. And it's driven by James Bond. Yes. No, but, uh, James Bond only belongs in Astons or Jags, but the British man in British cars. Well, touche. But they still... He did drive they, a Beamer. I know. I, I, I'm oh, sorry. Yeah, I hate Beamer. when oh, yeah. he's in the Z8 in that stupid movie. <laughs> but basically, they took the, the rest of the body, rather, they took the front and rear end and made it look a little, a little more close to the rest of the body because the S7 is kind of a wild style. Yeah. Um, it's a lover hate kind of look. That fastback is, or the, the lift back on the back end is a little bit strange. Um, it looks even worse in the pictures than it does in person. I, in was, person, I, was, I, was, I was just going to say that. It looks a little funky in, in pictures. Um, the A7 that we took to uh, when I drove the, them across country, like this, all of the Audi 7s, the A7, the RS7, and the S7 are just so stunning in person. Yeah, I mean, they're gorgeous cars, and yeah, they look much better in person, because a lot of these pictures they take are weird angles, like the one I'm looking at here is like a, an up-top side-view angle that really highlights the back end, it really makes it look kind of goofy. Uh, but basically, Audi's doing what it always does, it's positioning itself right between BMW and Mercedes. Believe it or not, the Mercedes CLS is the cheapest of the bunch, 73000 the 650i uh, X-Drive Grand Coupe is 92000 This is probably going to come in about ninety grand. Uh, they saw a couple hundred euro increase, which should translate straight over to dollars into the U.S. like they always do. So we should see a couple hundred bucks extra, which would take up to about ninety grand or so. So it's going to sit right between the two, and it's the same thing with power and acceleration. It splits the difference between the Mercedes and the BMW. Yeah. Pretty much basic Audi stuff. Well, but, like, there's something to be said about splitting that difference and uh, if I can take a second and go back to my little Juke Nismo because I'm in love with that stupid little car how um, much <clears throat> it's, I, I, I'm sorry like I was finding reasons to drive it like I went to the grocery store for the wife and I forgot something on purpose just so I could go back to the grocery store like I'm, it, it's so much fun to drive oh damn I forgot the bananas I'll be back <laughs> yep I'll be right back um <laughs> To me, it's a big split difference car, and uh, you'll see this in the review and the video review when it goes live. But like, if you want a hot hatch that focuses on comfort pretty much above all all else, you've got the GTI. Um, if you want more horsepower, uh, you've got the Ford Focus S ST or the Mazda Speed Three, and this sort of splits the difference. It's not as restrained and comfortable as the GTI, and it's not as balls out fast as the Focus. It's, it's sort of that nice middle ground of hoonable enough to be silly and fun, but not hoonable enough that you are get Popeye arms trying to fight the torque steer and you're worried about crashing all the time. <laughs> if, if you've ever driven a Focus ST, like seriously, a hardball launch, you need like Arnold Schwarzenegger arms to keep that steering wheel straight. The torque steer is tremendous in ah, that thing. Wonderful. 
<laughs> oh, it's great. All right, um, we're going to move on to something that has way more torque and way more horsepower than any of the hot hatches that I just discussed. Um, one of my favorite cars in the world, as you know, is the Corvette Stingray, and we have new leaks on what's going to happen in 2015. Mr. Mark wants to tell you all about it. We sure do. Um, <clears throat> there is several things that's coming. Basically, the car itself really isn't changing all that much. We're just going to be getting a couple uh, exterior updates, a couple interior updates. But the biggest news, of course, is that 8-speed automatic transmission um, and a new uh, final gear ratio in the rear end. Um, so, I mean, those who want the automatic no more have the 6-speed, but we now have a nice 8-speed. It's going to help uh, MPGs, going to help smoothness in the, in the car, refinement, stuff like that. So that's definitely the biggest change under hood for the car itself. Right. Um, oh, and I just want to throw this in real quick. If anyone's screaming at their computer right now, yes, again, we all love our, our manuals, but this is the exact same automatic that GM made for the Z06. So this isn't going to make the Corvette slower or worse. It's going to make it faster and better. Yeah, and, and likely, I mean, it's probably going to get faster shifts, get it faster 0 to 60 than the manual will just because it's got paddle shifters. Put it in sport mode, and you're going to fly. Like, clicky, 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 yeah. clicky. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a dual clutch, but it it's darn near close. Um, and let's see. Well, what else comes? So that's basically underhood. Now, exterior, this is it's, it's a long list of of changes as far as co cosmetic stuff that happens. Uh, two color changes, basically a new gray color and the lime rock green, which um, was kind of odd for a Corvette anyway, that's now gone and it's now called uh, Sunrise or Daytona Sunrise Orange Metallic. Which makes me really sad, actually. Um, because, well, because my favorite Corvette color of all time is a 70, 71, and 72. They had a color called Elk Heart Green. Yeah, um, and actually, Corvette has a long history of offering green as one of their main colors. Most people just never buy them, and so when the new Stingray came out in a green, I was really excited. But yeah, I didn't expect it to last too long. Yeah, no, it's gone after the first year. So anyway, basically, those are the two new colors, and then they're offering a new, I guess, design package is what they're calling it. They're calling it this uh, Pacific Design Package. Um, so if you live on the West Coast, I guess you know it's more fun for you there or something. Um, anyway, it, it basically it's going to... Well, they gonna, have the PCH. Yeah, I mean, heck, that's an awesome road. It is uh, an awesome road. But it's basically what, it, what it's going to do is bundle a bunch of little small visual updates into one big package where you can just check one box and get it done with. Um, and we don't know the price on that yet, but it's coming. Anyway, it's going to be basically a bunch of carbon fiber, real carbon fiber stuff and a lot of fake carbon fiber stuff. Um, let's see, visible carbon fiber on the roof panel on the body-colored surrounds. Uh, let's see, carbon fiber. That, that comes with the carbon fiber package, which I think they already offer. And then they, they have something called Carbon Flash, which is, I guess, their painted-on fake carbon fiber. Uh, Full-length dual racing stripe package, Carbon Flash badge package, Carbon Flash license plate holder, Carbon Flash painted outside mirrors and spoilers, Z51-style satin black wheels with red stripes. Like, the list goes on and on and on and on. Satin black uh, wheels with a red stripe sounds awesome. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. It comes with the competition sports seats. Uh, Ooh, I want a white one with the black wheels with the red stripe. No, okay, yeah, yeah you're starting to talk now. Okay, because all of all of these car or all of this package is only available with the jet black or adrenaline red interior, and you can only get it with the shark gray metallic, which is the new color for 15. The Arctic white, the blade silver metallic black or torch red. So, there you go. You can get your Arctic white with black wheels with red stripes. It's and red interior. 
Yeah. Boom. Done. Get, get the carbon fiber fake uh, paint stripes and stuff like that. I'm sure it looks great. I'm sure it looks GM, great. start start building it. I'll be there to pick it up in a week. Yeah. It, it sounds uh, great, but that, that carbon flash stuff kind of scares me. It sounds a yeah. lot like GM uh, walking down AutoZone's modifications aisle and just said, oh, I'll take one of these fake things, one of those fake things, one of those fake things. I'll well, just slap a turbo badge on the back of it, too. I yeah, I, it, it, it scares scare me. A lot of companies <laughs> use fake carbon fiber, especially yeah, on like interior bits. Well, but true, true. They, but it scares me to think like Corvette is. I think Corvette is teetering on that line of, are you a legitimate luxury performance car? And with the C7, it, it's pushing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone's agreeing. It's a perform. It's a. It's a kind of a luxurious car. They finally got away from the really craptastic interior of the C6, and then just to go back to fake carbon fiber, it's like, ah, don't shoot yourself in the foot. I just. If I saw it and it looked good, that's one thing. But if it just rattles and looks fake, then I don't know. I yeah, think if, if you're going to yeah. make that package an option, an option, make it real. If people yeah. want it, they're going to want real. Yeah. Pump the price up, make the stuff real. Real enthusiasts don't want fake carbon fiber in their cars. Well, yeah. but so here's the thing, because you listed a lot of carbon fiber fake bits. Yeah. Um, I bet you GM would have to charge six or $7,000 for that to make money. And, and so once you're it. yeah, and, and once you're charging six or seven thousand dollars on top of a higher trim Corvette, I mean, I I wonder if they're worried about it getting closer to the price of a Z06, and so they're trying to balance that real carbon fiber but, and fake carbon okay, fiber okay. price circle. The person who buys a loaded out C7 with carbon fiber bits is not the same person who buys a base model Z06. Mm-hmm. Why I'd, not? It comes with I'd, carbon fiber bits on it already. I'd put money on that. Why? It, because because you want the guy who wants a C7 with all the carbon fiber bits on this uh, Pacific design package, he's not really concerned about performance. He's just concerned about making it to golf on time. True, but... The Z06, he's going to take it to the track every other weekend, and he's going to have... say that, but they sell Maybe. the Z06... They, they sell the Z06 with the 8-speed auto... Not because it's faster, but because lots of people who want to drive their car to golf want to have a pissing contest with all their friends and say, I've got more horsepowers underneath my hood than your car. Well, of course. That's what rich people do. Yeah. Right. So There's nothing wrong with that either. Capitalism. Yeah. Ooh. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I will say, I will say uh, there is one thing that I, I really kind of – it makes me a little upset. Um, we all love and we all know the Z51 performance pack, right? It comes with the bigger brakes, the more cooling, uh, the the differential, the transmission coolers, all that sort of stuff, right? Has a little, has some exterior bits that make it a little separate, you know, a little, little more sporty, right? Right. Well, no, they're now offering a ZF1 or what I like to call the Z Fake One appearance package, <laughs> basically gives you everything from the Z51 without the added benefits of performance. So, uh, AutoZone, here I come. So, I mean, yeah, it's like, you see a car, ooh, that's a Z51 package, or is it? Like, you just don't know. <laughs> well, so. I think GM's just trying to cash in on a huge market, because um, if you guys, I, and again, I don't know how much you follow it, but I follow it a lot, because Corvette's for the win. Um ooh. The market for modifications that are Z06 body panels for a base C6 Corvette is freaking massive. Oh, I would imagine, yeah. Because there everyone are, wants the Z06. Yeah. Right. 
Um, and I actually know of at least let's see, one, two, three, four, five, seven people. I know seven people who bought C6s and paid thousands of dollars to have them converted over to look like a Z06, but they were worried about 500 horsepower in their car, and they were slightly scared of it, and they just wanted the base V8. And so GM's just trying to cash in on that market. I mean, we're talking I, one of one Wait. of these guys because he had one of because because he had the fancy burnt orange paint option when he had all of his parts painted. Like his total bill was like eighteen thousand dollars to have all to buy all this body 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 kit, have it installed, and have it all painted to match. And he was more than happy to do that because he wanted to look. But he was worried about the power. Ouch. I know. I mean, that's it's, a little ridiculous. I mean, <laughs> super ridiculous because that's like that put it up. Like it cost it, him, I think, like two thousand dollars more than just a Z06. It's just called self-control, people. Just don't get into starting second gear every time, like, <laughs> or third. Yeah, I mean, five hundred <laughs> horsepower is only five hundred horsepower if you push it. If you're in the torque band, you don't have to hit power band every single time you're going from a stoplight. Nice and easy. That's that's again, and it's like. They and they are all older. They're all Corvette enthusiasts. Most of them are doctors, um, and they were. It's just like a whole group of them. Like, yeah, we all want these cars, but we don't want the power. You know, see, one okay, guy was like, I don't want my wife to be driving the car with that much power. One guy was like, I'm worried about it. You know. Okay, but the thing is, is like the Z51 Performance Pack it only adds five extra horsepower because yeah. you're getting the exhaust system. I mean, that's not a big deal. Right. I mean, yeah, no, like, this is a little bit iffy, but I can see why GM would be willing to offer all the go-faster-looking bits. Yeah, because they're making the money on it instead of some third-party guy. Yep. From California, yeah. I mean, yeah, it, it makes perfect sense, but it, it's kind of disappointing to me. And on the inside, I mean, there's there's some more carbon fiber bits and stuff like that. Um, OnStar is now getting the 4G LTE Wi-Fi hotspot stuff. Chevy MyLink navigation. On has a performance data and video recorder, which is really awesome. That's um, the coolest thing. YouTube loves that. I mean, we just we all want to watch you tear around the Nurburgring, um, and um, um, the suede microfiber wrapped interior package is now standard equipment on the uh, 3LT trim package. All right. Okay, uh, we're going to go ahead and move on to our next little piece. And if you guys have been paying attention to the site, this is a huge piece of news. We have exclusive photos of some Dodge Challenger Hellcat bits. Justin, yell at me about it. Yes, I uh, have actually been talking to the guy about these images for uh, about about 60 days. He's had the images. Um, I tried getting off them before they released the Hellcat. He wouldn't dare do it. Um, then finally I managed to talk him into giving them to us after they released it. He said, okay, okay, I don't think I can get any trouble for it now, so here, here they are. These are pictures of uh, the prototype versions of the, whatever you want to call it, intercooler, aftercooler, or integrated charge cooler. They're all the exact same thing. Um, <clears throat> it's images of these in prototype form. We're not sure if these are exactly what they look like on the car, but we showed a picture um, of the supercharger system, uh, a, a screenshot from the video, and what it appears to be is that these are the two side ones that lead into the one main uh, intercooler in the center. At least that's my assumption from the video. They're kind of uh, it's a little convoluted as to what's going on here in the in the uh, intercooler system, and the whole intercooler and the supercharger thing is kind of iffy. Not everybody agrees with it. Um, so the specifics aren't there. We don't know exactly what purpose these are going to serve, where they're going to sit, if they're before, if they charge the, the compressed air, if they're before the supercharger, after the supercharger. We really don't know yet. 
Um, but what we do know is it is intercooled, which is awesome, which means they're going to be over 11 pounds. From what I read, these things can handle 11.9 PSI. Um, so that means we're going to see a supercharger pumping at least 10, maybe 11 PSI. They won't go to the max, I don't think. And that's going to mean a whole hell of a lot of horsepower. Um, you, know, you take this 6.4 liter, which you had to de-stroke a little bit for reliability issues, and you pump even 10 pounds of boost to this thing and strengthen up the internals a little bit, and you're looking at upwards of 650 horsepower. Um, are they going to do it? That's still on, still, still anybody's ballgame because are they going to want this thing to cannibalize against the uh, cannibalize off the Viper, which is already selling like crap anyways? Um, no, it's not going to handle like the Viper. It's not going to have the look of the Viper or anything like that. But when you get these horsepower nuts like us, they're going to say, "Well, this has more power than that. I want this." They don't think about, "Oh, it doesn't handle as well. It doesn't look as good." So they're going to go straight horsepower. The Challenger already sells pretty well. So it's gonna it can possibly cannibalize if they push it up over the 650 mark. Yeah, well, I mean the the Challenger is a, a more um, usable car too because it's a two plus two, and exactly, exactly. And I think it's a, I I in my opinion I like the retro look. I prefer its look over the Viper. You're gonna shoot me for it, but I prefer its look over the Viper. I'd say wow, way to be wrong. Um, well, no, the Viper the Viper looks way too European. It looks like it belongs on a Ferrari dealer. That's okay. There's nothing wrong with that, but not from a Dodge car. And I, yes, it's a Dodge. It's called SRT, but it's a Dodge. I guess so. Well, it's not called SRT anymore. Yeah, not anymore. They separated, but still, on dealer lots are still labeled as an SRT. So right. my thing about this whole intercooler idea, and yes, so if you guys are unfamiliar with the way Dodge has their intercooler set up. Uh, there is a huge standard intercooler like in the front of the car, like you would get on a turbo car, but they have one for their system. Uh, a lot of it's just for reliability issues. And then inside of the supercharger, there are a pair of the integral charge coolers that are inside of the supercharger that help cool the air as you're going, because when you compress air, it heats up, and hot air is bad for an engine. You want cold air, because cold air will burn better. It's denser, and you get more power. Um, even if Dodge doesn't crank up the power out of this thing, having all of these parts in place will give you extreme reliability when you're blasting around a track, which is something that Corvette has focused on a lot with the uh, Z Z28. Um, but if they don't turn up the power and you still have all these bits, the amount of effort that it will take you in your garage to crank that power needle up is almost nothing, and the car will still be super reliable. So even if Dodge only sells it with 601 horsepower, because that is over 600 horsepower, a quick tune should easily be able to crank that up. You could turn the boost up yourself. You could alter some some of the electronics. You could push this thing probably closer to 700 horsepower, and I would not worry at all about any sort of bad effects because of the incredible cooling that they're, that, that they're putting in this thing. Yeah, What's and, more, uh, coming from a guy who, do, who has a turbocharged car, the size of the intercool, intercooler really, really matters. Believe me when I say that, especially with these being uh, water to air. Uh, my uh, Mazda came with stock of this little tiny chiclet intercoolers, about yay big. No, it's, it's like six square inches. It's, a, it's like a power steering cooler. One lap around the track, that thing is so heat-soaked, you're losing power at this point because you're forcing hot air into the intake. Um, so with this, the gargantuan size of these things, plus the fact that they're water to air, is only going to make it better because it's going to keep that air cool. It's going to keep uh, cool air flowing in. And yes, you get a little bit of restriction and a tiny bit of lag from the intercooler system, but my research shows it's like 1.2 PSI you're going to lose by going with the intercooler system, and the gains you can get by going to the intercooler system on a supercharger are exponentially larger than you get from the restriction from the intercooler. 
Well, there you go. Mark. Okay. Well, I was going to say, um, you know, in doing some of the research, I didn't write the article, but I did a little bit of an add-on to another Charger article or Challenger. Um, you know, we, we talked about the engine itself, and I, I was always wondering, I was like, well, why are they doing a 6.2? Why, why aren't they going with a bigger 6.4, you know, out of the SRT? And basically they did. What they did was they took that 6.4 and they destroked it because they have a bigger crankshaft that's more strong, made out of some crazy materials that just basically can handle an upgraded uh, horsepower bump. Um, all of these forged internals and everything like that, everything inside the block is about 90% new. Everything else, you know, the it's cast iron block, cast iron heads, all this stuff, it's like a, it, it's basically a powerhouse ready to go for your tune. Sure, it's got 600-plus horsepower. Of course, people are going to tune it and make it do some crazy stuff. But fortunately for them, they're not having to go through and re rework this engine for you know new pistons and new cranks and stuff like that. It's all there. It's ready to go. And now, I mean, you guys are talking about the intercoolers. It, it's it's one plug-and-play tune away from some serious, serious right. tire squeaking, rubber-burning fun. And I wonder if that's part of Dodge's plan. Because um, they have to keep the EPA people happy, and they have to keep the bean counters happy, and they have to keep so many people happy. I wonder if they're just going to be like, here's this super, super crazy overbuilt engine that only makes 610 horsepower. But the, EB, the OBD puts right here. <laughs> right. Yeah, you guys, you guys have fun with this, and don't forget, put it on YouTube. And then everyone is going to be cranking these engines out to seven and 800 horsepower, and people will be like, well, if you want to tune a muscle car, this is the car you need to get because it's already built for it. It's already got the forged internals. I, I wonder if that's part of their plan because yeah. that way they can play both sides of that coin. Dodge is not making and selling a car that's more powerful than the Viper. Dodge is not making and selling a car that gets 1.2 miles to the gallon. Dodge is not making and selling a car with 900 horsepower. Dodge is selling a car that is 15 minutes away from 900 horsepower, but they're not actually selling that. So. That, that's, that's a really clever. good point. It's clever. Yeah. And I, Christian, I like how you talked about it. Each time you talked about it, it went from six to seven, seven to, to eight to nine hundred. This thing's gonna make twelve hundred horsepower. But that's too no. much power. It is. No, like, seriously, in a car like that. <laughs> so, uh, do you drive it anywhere? No. Quarter mile. Because at, it's like because at idle in neutral, it's still spinning the rear tires. <laughs> You don't want to look at it when it's raining. <laughs> All right. Um, okay, we got uh, a few more things to cover here. This one is one that I, I have some things to say about, uh, but we're going to let Mark start us off. Uh, it's Porsche 718. Yeah, um, I, I did write the article on this one, and it, it, it's really cool. I really I think that this is going to be a great car. So basically what they're doing is the rumored... Porsche 550, which has been kind of on the books since basically forever, basically is the boxer's baby brother. Smaller, lighter, four-cylinder power. Uh, it, it's going to have a lot of uh, lightweight, go-fast bits in it that's going to kind of undercut the, the boxer's growing weight, uh, but undercut as far as power performance and stuff like that. So you're, you're getting a lighter car, but it's got less power, so... You know, it's kind of like a, a good all-around track car, kind of a Miata killer almost. Um, Krista, I'm I'm really really curious to hear what you have to say on this because I know you're a Porsche Audi kind of guy. So, um, well, so I, I I have some iffy things about the proposed engine specs. Like the top spec engine is what like they're saying like 365 or something. The, the top spec is a 2.5 liter four cylinder flat four, uh, kicking 355 horsepower. 
yeah. So, um, one, I know Porsche wants kind of a, or well, I know Volkswagen wants Porsche to have a smaller car, and they've been trying to push for it a long time. Every time this has come through, it's been killed, and it's been killed, and it's been killed. Right now, Porsche is the most money-making brand in the world. Porsche makes more money on every car they sell than anyone else. Their profit margins are record-setting through the roof. Introducing a cheaper car is going to cut into those margins, so Porsche's going to have a problem with that. VW wants them to sell more cars, but Porsche still has a lot of say over what they actually produce. Um, second, with a car that's as small as they're saying, with as light as they're saying, 355 horsepower will make it faster than a 911, straight up. I mean, they're talking about cutting several hundred pounds out of what the Boxster is, and the Boxster yeah. is already a pretty light car. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's a, that's a pretty good point. Um, two, on the other hand, you know, with the, you know, not that every Boxster and Cayman comes like this, but, you know, they're, the Boxster and Cayman are coming with the GT, uh, GTS package or whatever it's called, you know, bumping it up, more expensive, more power, better handling, all this sort of stuff. And it's kind of leaving that guy who just wants a base Porsche, you know, convertible to tote around in. It's kind of leaving him in the dust. So I think maybe this is a good idea for those folks who are looking for something under $60,000 to get into a Porsche. I don't really think it'll cheapen the brand. I don't think it'll cut into their margins too much because, I mean, every other car they make, it's, they're still going to get all of that profit margin from. Uh, you know, right. Why not? It's it's a good idea, I think. Well, I think it's a good idea, and I think it might happen. I just think everyone's got everything wrong. Um, when this came up, like, and we have some more solid evidence now, what I actually think is going to happen is Porsche is going to cut out the base-level Boxster and Cayman, essentially. They're oh. only going to have the S engines, because there's it's like a 3.2 and a 3.6 or something. Like, like There's different engines in the base car versus the S. Yeah. So I see them, because we already talked about the GT4 Cayman, we've already talked about them moving them up in the range a little bit. I see them, uh, right now we have the Cayman, the Cayman S, the Cayman GTS. I sort of see them moving away from the base Cayman. Um, they might keep the name and have a Cayman and turn the GTS into just an S in a couple years. Um, and so they move that whole line up a little bit. So the base Cayman and the base Boxer are a little bit more expensive. And they're going to move the 911 up a little bit because they can. And then instead of this car being like $40,000, they're going to make it like $52,000. And I think the fastest engine you'll get in it will probably be about 330 horsepower. So In the, in the 718? Yeah. So basically what they're going to do is they're going to replace the Boxster and the Cayman with this cheaper car. But to make it not that much cheaper, they're going to move the rest of the line forward a little bit. Mm-hmm. And they're going to only leave the more powerful engines in the other cars. I could see yeah. that. And I, they're I kind of already see that. Yeah, and they're already kind of starting to show that forward motion. With right. The, they're sort of already moving everything up a little bit. We got the GTS. We're getting the GT4. Like they keep the pressing higher. And it's it's like you just said. You know, they've sort of left this gap for somebody who wants a cheaper base level Porsche, so they can cut off the base Boxster and the base Cayman. And sort of, instead of having a $40,000 car that's like a Miata Z, Z, Z4 fighter, you can make like a $49,000 or $50,000 car. So keep it like around the price of the Corvette. And then keep it like 325 to 330 horsepower. And it'll still be a blistering performer, but it won't outrun a Cayman. And it won't outrun a 911. Well, you know, I think you're onto something there, really. Um, yeah. 
you know, because I, I think the the competition for this thing really is, I think it is, the solid Stingray uh, and the new upcoming TT from Audi. Um, yep. You know, I mean, the, the TT Roadster and the Stingray Convertible. Yeah, I, I really think you're onto it. And, I mean, the Corvette's going to be a heavier car, but it does make 455 horsepower. Uh, but, you know, at the same time, this is going to be a lighter. And I really think they're going to load this thing with carbon fiber because, I mean, that's just the way everything's going. Um, and I really hope they do that just because it is, it's it's cool. Carbon fiber is a lot cheaper to make nowadays. It's so easy to make, um, you know. So why not load the thing with carbon fiber? Make it make it weigh like 3,100 pounds. Put 355 horsepower in it. Ugh. Yeah. Oh, making me drool over here, man. All right. <clears throat> We're yeah. going to move on. Uh, I've got one more little story I want to talk about. Um, if you guys noticed, uh, we, I've been talking a little bit about the Grid Auto Sport game lately. Um, it's a game I'm, I'm, I'm excited about, and I happen to be lucky enough to get a pre-release copy of the game. Um, the company who's making it, uh, Code, Codemasters, they picked a few people to send out a pre-release. It's like a beta build of the game. So I got it on my computer, loaded it up, um, <laughs> Played it a little bit. I only have a limited access to cars and tracks. Uh, there's like three or four cars for each type of racing that you can do, like the drifting and the street racing and the endurance racing and all that sort of sort of stuff. Um, but I put a couple hours into it. Um, it's pretty fun to play. If you guys are interested in it, you can read the piece. We also put up a video. I spent about six minutes showing off some of, some of the menus, and I did a lap in a race. Um, I did really terrible in the race. Uh, they're still working on everything. Nothing's finished. Um, they still have really bad balance issues with some of the rear-wheel drive cars, um, especially with, like, the drift cars, especially. Um, they've got some throttle adjustment issues that they're trying to work on. But overall, the game's solid. If you're interested, you could check out that video and that piece. Um, and when I get a full copy, I'll have a big, a big review coming. Um, so we're running a little short on time. We're going to go ahead and jump into our questions and answers. We only have one question this week. Um, don't forget, if you guys want us to answer your questions, you can ask us anything you want to. You can hit us up in the comments on the post. You can reach us by email, uh, podcast.topspeed.com, or you can hit us up on the Twitters. Uh, the Twitter is at topspeedpodcast. All right, so our question today comes from Jason009. This is another great episode. Thank you, guys. I have another question for you. I'm a big fan of F1, so if you could drive any F1 car in history... What car would you guys pick to drive? Would it be a modern one, an old one with skinny tires, no safety features, and a big wooden wheel? Um, he says he would drive the Tyrrell P34 from 1976. It's the one that has the four front wheels. Looks really, really freaking awkward. Um, do either of you guys have something to say about this? You know, I'm not a huge F1 fan, so I, I had a hard time with this one. But if I had to pick one, I would one of the old ones with skinny tires and, and wooden wheel. That it just sounds awesome to me, just a flaw around a track, just one time. One time to scare the living crap out of myself, park it, and say, okay, I survived. So I don't have any specific car, but it'd be one of the older ones for sure. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of in the same boat, too. I think it would be really cool. I mean, you look back at, like, the, the 70s era, you know, with the, the, the skinny body, um, had, like, the, the grooved, the small groove tires. The engines were just basically naked out behind the, the car. I, those, those were pretty cool. I think that... Um, you know, if you're going to drive something, make it cool like that. Um, so, yeah, I think that's what I would drive. Although I did look at the pictures of the um, the one that he was talking about, the, the Tyrell P34 or whatever. That is an odd car. But <laughs> I, I, would, I would like to drive it at least once to know what the four-wheel front steering would feel like. I, you know, it's interesting, to say the least. Christian, how about yourself? Um, I think... I would pick one of Senna's cars. Um, Ayrton Senna, the great legend of Formula One, 
Um, maybe one of his McLaren cars from like 90 or 91, uh, you know, when, when he was winning his driver's championships. Um, I think that would be really cool to drive, one of his championship-winning McLaren F1 cars. Um, I'm a big fan of Senna. I really like F, F, F1. And uh, back then, the cars were a little bit more raw than they are today. Uh, they're not quite as powerful, but they're nearly as fast. A um, little dangerous, a little silly. That's, that's I think, where I would go with it. I love Senna, and to be able to say I sat in the same seat, held the same steering wheel, drove the same car that Ernest Senna piloted to one of his world championship wins would just be a really, really awesome experience. That's fair enough. All right, so we're going to go ahead and move on to our own drive burn, and Mr. Matt Lake has given us a really, really good one. So the last couple ones have all been cars in a brand. Like, we had three Corvettes, we had three McLarens, we had three Ferraris. This one is just three of the all-time greatest supercars. So we have to pick between a Porsche 959, a Ferrari F40, and a Jaguar XJ220. I'm going to let Justin go first. (laughs) Gee, I really, really, really appreciate that. that that's a tough one because those are three of the icons. I mean, just downright badass. They all look cool. They're all super fast. Oh, my God. Um, I'm going to have to uh, – I'm going to catch hell for this. I'm going to have to burn the F40, I guess. Oh, I hate to say that. And I want to drive the – XJ220, simply just because of how insane it looks, but I would never want to have to maintain that thing. just want to drive it and see how fast. Oh, my God. I mean, I'm looking at a picture of the engine. Mike, doing an oil change required to remove, like, half the the frame. My God. Anyways, and the 959, just because it's one of the baddest-looking Porsches this side of the 918, I want to own that because it's – Truly unique. It's super fast. The three point something seconds to sixty. Just an insane car. Twin turbo flat six. Ah, just the sound of the engine would be bad to hear. So I'd want to own that forever and ever and ever and ever. Okay, uh, Mark. Well, that's fair enough. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm in the same boat with the Porsche. Um, the the nine five nine is is definitely a kind of in a league of its own. It's it's a beautiful car. It really is. It's 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 strange looking, but beautiful at the same time. And that, that rear end is just something special. Um, yeah, that's the one I would drive every day. Just because, I mean, it's it's more usable and it's 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 a Porsche. Why not? It's it's really cool. Um, the F40, I'm gonna have to drive that at least once because it is really is such an icon. I mean, it, it the Ferrari name that is attached to it, the way it looks, the way you know I hear it drives the engine. You have to drive it at least once. No, no burning that one. Uh, the Jaguar, on the other hand. Honestly, you know, it looks interesting, but it looks like an early 90s concept car to me. It looks like an early 90s fish. Yeah, that's about... <laughs> so, you know, I really wouldn't have that much of a hard time throwing a Molotov cocktail through the windshield of that thing. Okay. Um, <laughs> I've been thinking about this. So um, this question was on a podcast a couple weeks ago. To give you an idea, this question is almost 20 days old. Um, and I've literally been thinking about it that long. And I'm still not sure I can entirely decide. O- originally, I was going to pull a mark, and I was going to own the 959, and I was going to drive an F40, and I was going to burn an XJ220. 
Um, mostly, like, aside from the fact I like Porsches, I thought, well, if there was ever a 959 owners meeting, I mean, that's Jerry Seinfeld and Bill Gates, among others. And I'm like, that would be some cool company to be in. Um, you know, cars twin turbocharged is one of the first cars with uh, adjustable suspension, one of the first cars with four-wheel steering on, like, a, on, on, on a car of that level of performance. It was a direct competitor to the F40 back in the 80s. But as much as I love the 959, I love the F40 and what the XJ220 is. So I would probably have to, I think I'm going to say, burn the Porsche. Wow. I did not and expect to hear that. <laughs> I know. Again, I've spent so much time thinking about this. Like, I probably could have made a million dollars worth of work I could have gotten done in the time that I've spent thinking about this. Um, I would own an F40, and I would keep and drive an F40 every single day. Because anything I've ever seen, heard, or read is it is basically the rawest, most pure driving experience on the planet, short of maybe the McLaren F1. And even that's like they're pretty close to on par. Just raw carbon fiber everywhere. You're basically bolted to the floor, and there's just a massive engine behind you. Have fun, don't die. Like that's kind of what the F40 is. And back to the thing I talked about with the C1, of these three cars. The 959 is the only one I could say would not have made almost every part of my life better. If I went to get groceries in a 959, would my day have been more magical? Maybe not. If I drove an F40 to go pick up a thing of milk, my day has become more magical. Um, the 959 is just too subdued for that. So I would you're own just, an F40. You're just driving it wrong. Well, but just <laughs> – so, okay, let's say you have your wife in the car and you're going to dinner. You don't want to go too fast, too sideways, and make her go too throw up everywhere. Well, you don't want to pull the outback sideways? Come on, that's the fun part. <laughs> she, she vacates first and you feed her. Okay, but, but you know, I, I don't want to make her sick. But just driving an F40 down the road at 15 miles an hour – will still feel special, and everybody will look at you, and everybody will know what it is. If you're driving a weird, slightly ugly Porsche, there's going to be like, wow, that guy's in a weird, slightly ugly Porsche, and that'll be the end of it. Everyone knows an F40. Everyone recognizes an F40. It is one of the icons of the world, not just the automotive world, of the world in general. Uh, so that's the one I want to own. And then the XJ220 is an incredible achievement, uh, you know, as far as an engineering stamp standpoint, it's one of Jag's best cars they've ever made. So I would drive that once. I'd own an F40 and I would burn a Porsche. Back to what you were saying, I think a couple day old blooming onion vomit in your car would smell just absolutely <laughs> terrible. And if for some reason that did happen in the F40, there's no carpet, so you can just hose it out. <laughs> yeah, see, I, I just I couldn't get over the fact that I'll probably be sorely disappointed with the fit and finish of the F40. I mean, it was a mess. I mean, there's, there's, well, they just kind of said, okay, this goes here, that goes there. Well, but it was, everywhere. <laughs> it was as raw as it could be. It was basically, they said, we need to take a race car. And if anybody's ever been in an actual race car, they are built like utter shit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they are just held together with Bondo and duct tape. But that's super light, and that's why they do it. And so Ferrari, when they made the F40, basically was like, okay, we have a race car. What is the absolute minimum we have to do to make it a car? Well, okay, we'll put some lights on it. Um, we'll put a half inch of padding in the seat, and um, that qualifies, right? Good, sell it. <laughs> <laughs> like, like that's that's what they tried to do, and uh, I just I I don't know I, I love it for that. I I just I could not destroy one. 
Eh, so, fair enough. <laughs> yeah. Of the three, like, the 959's an incredible machine. But of the three, I think it might be the most inferior. Well, I, I take that back. I think the XJ220 is the most inferior, but I think it's more special than the 959. So. That's All right, it. ladies and gentlemen, that has been our show. Uh, we hope you're having a wonderful Thursday. You may have noticed there is no video this week. Um, to put it bluntly and honestly, the video is not getting enough of a response for me to justify the time output, but we are working on doing live, and as soon as we go live, we will have all the video you want again because I don't have to spend 10 hours editing it. Um, otherwise, I thank you and I love you for listening. We love all of our listeners. I love all, all of my watchers. I just can't justify the time at the moment. Um, but... Please, if you're interested in keeping up with the show, as always, you can follow us on iTunes. Uh, there's links below. Uh, if you want to follow us on Twitter, it is at TopSpeedPodcast. You can follow me directly at Twitter. I am at Moford, M-O-E-F-E-R-D. Mr. Justin Coupler is at the Car Junkie. Mark McNabb is simply at Mark McNabb. And uh, on Instagram, too. Cool. Yeah, he's on Instagram, too, at, at, at Mark McNabb. Um, I'm at Moford on anything you want to find me on. Um, if you want to see some more video game footage, I'm streaming some of the grid stuff at Twitch. That's just twitch.tv slash Moford. Um, we thank you. We love you. Please hop over to iTunes, subscribe, comment, rate. Uh, as always, keep commenting on these posts. Let us know what we're doing right, what we're doing wrong. We want to make this better for you, and we need your input for that. We hope everyone has a wonderful Thursday, super safe Friday, and a fantastic weekend. And we'll see you guys next week. Bye. Bye.